0: The fact that we can today synthesize it is basically responsible for the fact that we can support and grow food for half of the population today. So it's not enough that we have a Tesla. It's about changing the entire market. That's the challenge. I believe that the way we do things today, the way we grow things, the way we ship things, the way we create energy, the way we make food. All of that is going to change.
1: Welcome back to the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name is Jack Palomas and join me as I speak to some of the brightest minds in the built environment, hearing firsthand their experience building the future of our planet. For this episode, I'm so excited to welcome Ryu, managing partner at Extantia Capital, climate-first venture capital firm, accelerating the path to a decarbonized world. We dive into the world of first-of-a-kind financing, break down the challenge ahead of us, that is climate change, touch on some fascinating innovations such as green ammonia and so much more. If you enjoy this episode, please consider giving it a share on LinkedIn and a follow on Spotify as it helps promote our conversation to others who might find it helpful. And one more point to add, if you're listening to this episode, you might be interested to know that we now release four video interviews on our YouTube channel. Please check out youtube.com/slash future engineering club to see a video recording of our chat. And with that, let's welcome Yayi. Hi, yay. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I really
0: appreciate it. Thanks a so lot, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So
1: this is a really exciting conversation for me because as I mentioned to you at the start, before we hit record here, when you Google first-of-a-kind financing, your name pops up. So I very much am excited to pick your brain all about the topic of first-of-a-kind financing. Because it's such a prominent theme within the world of climate tech at the minute, isn't
0: it? Totally. And it's surprising uh, how things uh, turned out. I, I, I guess this happened uh, because we were very early understand that this is a huge topic and ahead of the curve we started talking about it and publishing a lot of a lot of material around it and that's how how things evolved
1: so for those unaware of your work and all of your thought leadership would you mind maybe just giving a little bit of introduction to yourself and and the fantastic team at extanture
0: sure so maybe a little bit about background about myself i'm electrical engineer by trade but uh, maybe a storyteller by heart. So everything I'm doing in the VC space is about telling stories, uh, about understanding technologies. And and because I'm an engineer, understanding that technology is not the most important part or just part of the story, and then simplifying it and understanding how do we sell that. Um, and how do we scale those? And and then you understand it's not always about the pure technology because anyone can do something in the lab, but uh, scaling it, it's uh, commercializing it, it's, it's something different. So this is maybe gives you some kind of color about myself and what am I uh, focusing on and doing. As a group, Extancia is a venture firm and we're investing early stage in technologies that can move the needle on climate change. That means that we've done a paradigm shift and we're not first looking at it from a venture perspective and then coloring green ex ante, but rather ex ante, we look at things and say, hey, can they really move the needle? That's the first gate that things need to pass. And then we say, okay, if it is really can be big on climate, is it a VC case? So. We don't sacrifice any of the VC returns, and maybe we can talk about that later, because we do climate. In fact, we believe that this actually can be a trillion dollar opportunity market. We look so that's from an industry perspective, right? From a geography perspective, we predominantly we're pan-European funds, so predominantly we look at the European market, but occasionally we will do something in in the states. I said early stage tickets from one to five million. So basically seed series A, that's our sweet spot. And we can also talk about what is seed series A in climate. That's also nothing, not something that is clear from itself. Yeah, that's uh, I think in many cases, and I think to to alluding to your point in climate, we're writing the playbook of what it is to be, to start a, a climate tech companies, what it is to be a climate tech investor, what it is to be a climate tech founder. And we're all learning here. Massively.
1: And it's such an evolving landscape at the minute and so many exciting innovations coming out with really quite diverse capabilities. You've got your green ammonia, your sort of accelerants for getting new infrastructure into the ground. It just varies massively. I'd love to get your perspective as an investor. What does this sort of the gold standard look like for a a good company within the climate tech space?
0: Let's start with the end result, right? This is not necessarily about what is a good company. Let's talk the, about the about good solution, right? At the end of the day, and that's the story about climate. It's a complicated, it's a fragmented uh, topic, right? It's, but in itself, it's simple, right? Everything that is being done today from dinosaur bones needs to be replaced with something that is sustainable, so the challenge is, is very simple, right? I mean, uh, high-emitting carbon solutions, we need to replace them with low-emitting carbon solutions. So the challenge is very simple, right? This is not, we don't need to invent something that we have never knew of, right? It's not about coming up with an app or something or AI that nobody imagined before. The, so in itself, it's very straightforward. We can go out and we can map all the challenges, and people have done that, and we know all the challenges that we have, and we just need to replace it. So in itself, it's simple. The challenge is, and that's where things come become complicated, is one, it's fragmented. There is no one panacea, right? There is no nothing, one that we say, hey, if you just solve this, let's solve agriculture, and then we're done. No. That's 20% of the problem. Hey, let's solve mobility. That's only 20% of the problem, right? And if we don't solve any, all of them, we're not going to make it. Not going to make it in terms of keeping degrees to 1.5, 2 degrees warming. Yeah. So th- this is the biggest challenge. Now, the, the second element of the challenge um, is scale. And, and that's the scale and the cost, right? So if we look at the things, the sheer size of the stuff that we need to change, right? If we're talking mobility, think about the amount of cars, millions, hundreds of millions of cars that need to change to EVs. So it's not enough that we have a Tesla or we have any other brand that is coming up with an electric vehicle, yeah? So it's not about coming up with a technology that is a replacement, yeah? It's about changing the entire market, right? That's the challenge. And then the next level of challenge with that is, as I said, cost. It's not about us coming up with a with a car, with electric vehicle car that is more expensive than a combustion engine car, because nobody's going to buy it, yeah? Maybe the hipsters in Soho or in Berlin-Mitte, yeah, we can afford that. We're also early adopters and, and et cetera, but and we're very privileged to, to to be able. But at the end of the day, you need to have a solution for the entire world and the entire world is not going to pay a premium for going green. It has to be cost competitive. What is good? Good is something that can be scaled and be, co- be cost competitive. And that is what we're looking for.
1: And how do you think we are currently doing Against those two metrics that you just described,
0: you can look at hydrogen and say we're not there. You can look at direct air capture, mm, we're not there. Sustainable aviation fuel, mm, we're not there. Yeah. So this is very gloomy perspective. But then let's have a look at what we've done over the past thirty years or past ten years, and have a look at uh, solar PV where we were price-wise 10 years ago or 20 years ago and where we are today. Today, solar PV is the, not only it's competitive, it's actually the cheapest source of energy. So this is not anymore a discussion, solar is greener than coal. Yeah, This is a discussion about solar is just way cheaper. And then you see that the market dynamics start to change. Because at the end of the day, this is all a matter of capital and capital shifting. And and this cannot happen if you're not cost competitive. So you can look at things and say, or lithium ion batteries, right? Where they were in the 90s and where they are today. If you look at just from the perspective of today, it might look like, oh, we're not there yet. But if you recognize what we've achieved in the past 30 years, even before we called climate tech, then suddenly you see there is a lot of achievement that has been done. And we will do that. We will manage to get the cost down.
1: I want to talk about the, that point of a timeline that you just described and the increasing sense of urgency for us to act and to really make meaningful progress with this. Because if you go back in time where we maybe first saw solar PV come to market, we had time, we had a bit of time, we had a little bit more uh, wiggle room when it came to R&D and getting the business models correct. Whereas fast forward to today, we've got circa six years on the climate clock. The time to act is now, or it was yesterday, but we all we have is now. Something that you've spoken about previously is the the time value of carbon. I'd love to just get a little bit of an overview of that, because I think it's a really important topic to where we find ourselves today, particularly in terms of trying to unlock meaningful change at scale.
0: Right. When we started looking at these, it was clear that there are all kinds of ramping up functions, right? You can have a step function, you can have a... Exponential function, it can be a linear function and a different time scale. And it might be that there is a a technology that is going to take way longer to scale, but the impact, the overall impact is going to be tremendous. Yeah. In this regard, I would name fusion, for example. It's a classic one that everybody is working on in the optimistic. Camp says that in 10 years' time, you would start seeing that scaling. Yeah, I'm more in the camp that it's 30 years from now. But definitely, this is something that is going to, when it's going to happen, it's going to have a lot of impact. But time-wise, it's definitely not in the next five years, right? So talking about the stuff that we need to do in the next five years, that's not there. Now, generally, so that's by, by way of an example, but generally, Everyone, and we we were talking about capital, everyone that is in this business knows what DCF is And, and the notion that capital has value. And if you get a dollar today or you get it in 10 years, that's not the same value. And the same goes for carbon, either by removing a ton or abating a ton today or in 10 years time. Now, of course, the cost may be cheaper in 10 years' time because of technological improvements, but the fact that the ton is still out there for the next 10 years means that it exacerbates the problem. It means that we're going to have second ripple effects, secondary effects on coral reefs, for example. Yeah, So people can say, oh, let's go to two degrees and then fix it. And maybe that's going to be the case, but what would be harmed is going to be very costly to be fixed. So it's going to be cheaper. That's the point. It's cheaper in in the grand scheme of things. It's cheaper to take action now rather than to wait and fix the problems later. And that is basically what we're saying, that if any technology any act that you can do today is way better than doing it tomorrow it also from a vc per, and this is this is maybe from a doing good perspective but also from a vc perspective this has implications also our on our investment thesis right a company that is going to start scaling and making impact in 10 years time is beyond the lifetime of our fund the company that is going to have impact now is because it's commercializing now and it's creating revenue now and is relevant from our return perspective. So these things are aligned.
1: It's a really interesting point when you spoke about the the fund timeline with typical VC funds on a 10-year investment cycle, maybe typically investing for those first five and then supporting those investments and maybe sort of further reinvestment in those sort of second five-year period. I'd love to ask you about a, a quote, which I've quoted a few times here and there on this on previous podcast episodes, and we see banded about quite a lot. It's a quote from McKinsey, which is 78% of the solutions we need to solve climate change already exist, which is quite a powerful statement. As an investor, invest in early stage into new ideas within the climate tech space. I'd love to get your perspective on this. If the quote from McKinsey suggests that actually the majority of the answer to our big planetary challenge isn't new R&D, it's not new innovation. It's more, it's other aspects such as business model, economics, and scaling.
0: What's your take on that? One, I'd be very glad to, to have a look at the, Calculation that McKinsey brought that it is seventy eight, and and not seventy eight point five or seventy nine or eighty. Yeah, That's
1: very round numbers. My That's math,
0: number. my my high school math teacher was calling me to the board and asking me to solve uh, equations. And whenever I solved one, he was telling me, "Your solution has a very interesting characteristic. It's wrong." So. This feels, whenever we do all our carbon math and all these calculations, I keep saying we're always wrong, yeah? But it it gives you a ballpark calculation kind of, yeah. So 78 sounds like, I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) to to the point, this is, I, I, I think that... It's very hard to quantify. I think that 50-50 sounds to me like a little bit more, and this is what, or 60-40, this is what you hear from the International Energy uh, Association uh, Agency. This is something that you hear more. This fit, kind of gut feeling, this fits more uh, where, where we stand. But at the end of the day, this is not bait whether this is this or that. We need both. Yes, do we need to deploy more of what we have? For sure. Can we survive only with the solar and wind? No, because these are intermittent. Germany doubled its capacity uh, over the past 20 years of what it has in wind and solar. And guess what? Emissions went up. How come? Because we had to compensate base load with coal, because we don't have long duration energy storage. So yes, maybe we are missing still 22% of the equation. But that twenty two percent is quite crucial, yeah, and and same goes for hydrogen. Hydrogen is nowhere near in where we need to be in terms of price point and and in terms of scale, et cetera. And so what I'm saying is that we still have some crucial elements that, regardless where they are on the percentage point, without having those, we will not be able to solve the entire, scale up. Do we need more EVs? Yes, we do. But do we have the infrastructure? We don't have the infrastructure. Do we have the grid to support it? No, we don't have the grid to support that. Yeah. So there are a lot of issues that are still standing ahead of us that are not solved. That even if we were to, to do everything today that is there, will get to the targets maybe of 2030, but to net zero by 25th, we're still not there. That's how I read the, these types of numbers.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you completely. And I think ultimately, at its most simplest level, solving climate change is the greatest team sport that we have as a planet. And it requires everyone and everything right. to come together to chip in and bring their capabilities and skills to the table because it needs everything. A really exactly. diverse set of competencies. Mm. I do want to just pick your brain about some of the fascinating challenges that your fund has has paid quite a lot of focus to recently. First to mind is, is the green ammonia. Mm. Green ammonia is a fascinating challenge. And I think one that maybe, I can't imagine the, the topic of ammonia is on most people's minds on a day-to-day basis. But I know that this is something that I, it has been, focus area for your fund. What is the challenge when it comes to ammonia? And how are we thinking about the solution to this?
0: When most people think about the biggest inventions of the 20th uh, century, people will say internet or uh, travel to the moon or yeah, so th- things li- like that. But actually, one of those big ones that is not often being mentioned is the fact that we can do synthetic fertilizers. And ammonia and is nitrogen as is fertilizers. And the fact that we can today synthesize it is basically responsible for the fact that we can support and grow food for half of the population today. So if we weren't having synthetic fertilizers we would have been able, with food production, been able to support only half of the uh, Earth population. And we wouldn't have seen that kind of a growth and GDP growth, etc. So ammonia is, as a fertilizer, is gigantic. Now, ammonia comes with a cost because basically NH3 is nothing but, or the way you produce it, it's nitrogen, hydrogen, and the hydrogen production today is... The way you produce it it emits a lot of emissions. Without going into the technical, but steam methane reform, basically you take the gas that has CH4, you with a lot of steam and heat, you take and create the hydrogen, then the hydrogen goes with the nitrogen that comes from the air. That's a process that is emitting a lot of energy and consuming a lot of energy and emitting a lot of CO2. So this is uh, one topic. The other topic about ammonia... And that's why we're talking about, hey, we need green ammonia. So one, because of the fertilizer element. Second is because ammonia can be, today we're a carbon-based economy, right? So when we're driving, when we're combusting something, we're combusting hydrocarbons. But we can also combust nitrogen. Yeah. So we can also have uh, ammonia-based engines. And when we're talking about, especially in the shipping industry, That's where ammonia can be the fuel, the low carbon fuel of the future. So ammonia also can be a fuel. And the last thing about ammonia, it can also be an energy carrier. So when we're talking about hydrogen economy, again, if we're not taking our H and C from dinosaur bones, where do we take the H from? And if we're doing green hydrogen and for that we need cheap electricity, then probably not in Germany then you go to elsewhere, and then you start the need to ship that type of hydrogen. And one way to do that is turning that in, because hydrogen shipment is not, it's the smallest molecules, and because it's small, it has the tendency that evaporates and escapes, so it's not really easy to ship hydrogen. Liquefaction is also not so easy as with nitrogen, nitrogen. And therefore, so LNG, and therefore you what is, uh, and, and we have other investments in the space to try to find, to solve um, the liquefaction of, of hydrogen. But one way to solve it is not to ship it as hydrogen, but rather as ammonia. And that's why ammonia as a topic is actually a huge one. And being able to generate ammonia in a green way, low carbon way, that, that is way beyond just the one5 to 3% of emissions that today's ammonia is responsible for. Wow.
1: I don't think anyone would have expected the critical importance it is to actually tackle this prominent challenge. It's amazing to hear. I'd love to get your perspective on the financing side of things. And I started off this conversation with that first-of-a-kind reference. There'll be loads of folks listening who maybe aren't familiar with the concept of first of a kind financing, would you mind just giving us a little bit of an introduction and breaking down what we mean by this terminology, please?
0: Sure. So this is something that also we learned on the go and 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 understood that how where is the journey? Yeah, and usually VCs we are. We're coming from maybe software investments or a little bit deep tech and gadgets and iPhone and all these things that are nice, but they are not infrastructure. They are not coming at a huge, massive investments, CapEx investments and and scale. And then that are usually in the realm of infrastructure. And here we are, the VC industry. We are playing now at the early stage. And all of a sudden, we realize, again, this, if we want to solve the problem climate, it's a question of infrastructure. It's a question of scale. Now, naturally, you cannot collab with a product and say, okay, so now I have this product. I've now generated, let's say, a kilogram a day. Now I'm ready to start a facility that is going to do 10,000 a ton a day, and for that I need half a billion. It's just not gonna fly. Yeah, no one will give you that type of capital. There has to be, uh, there have to be multiple steps in between that you have to slowly scale and de-risk the basically the the technology. Same goes for solar panels. Again, going backwards and looking. Or if we look on wind farms, we never nobody, the industry didn't start with building uh, wind farms at that are now, I don't know what's the latest 15 megawatt per wind farm, right? So we started in kilowatt because these things have to be risked. There's massive capital here, and the massive capital in, that is going in that direction is has a different risk profile this is not equity money this is not risk this is not vc money this is infrastructure money and infrastructure money is expected is low risk and wants 3% return and no technology risk yeah so this, you cannot build the first facility with a huge uh, capacity half a billion with you just went out of the lab
1: they call it a valley of death Right. There's a valley of death between some early seed stage funding that's maybe through friends and family and other early stage support mechanisms. And then this massive big growth, what we would call growth rounds for massive big infrastructure projects. So there's this valley of death concept, which is what it's often referred to as. So I know you spend a lot of your time thinking about this challenge. What's the solution? I'm sure there's no easy answer, but what is the what is the strategy for, say, early stage innovators and entrepreneurs to try and overcome this so-called valley of death?
0: I, I think the first step, and this is, I think that 2023 is really, in climate tech, maybe I would vote for folk as the, the word of, of 2023, the word of the year, because I think the first step really was to put that as to talk about the knowledge and understanding of the challenge. And especially, not just with investors, but especially with founders, because the so there is, again, there is not one solution, but the first thing is to understand and cater to that and plan for that. And think about that. So about the steps, about the financing. How am I going to do that? What are the sources of the capital? What do I need in order to do that? What do the investors need in order to do to invest, right? So I think the first step is to understand that there is a topic and start to break it down so that people are preparing. And I feel like a lot of the stuff, you know, when today I'm negotiating, talking to founders and we're talking about the term sheet and yeah. So everybody already know exactly which liquidation preference and which anti-dilution. And if I think about when I started in VC, which is over a decade ago, when we were talking to founders back then, they had no idea about term sheets and, and things like that. And there were a lot of books coming out, so demystifying and the term sheet and one on one, speak like your are VC And books like that. And I think that a lot of the stuff is education. And I think we're doing a a lot of that now in in climate tech, talking about things and sharing knowledge and best practices between founders and and investors. How should we do things? So this is really the first step to solve the problem. And just from my
1: own experience, I've seen a huge amount of uh, people coming from other sectors and then attracted to climate tech folks that are hugely passionate but might not necessarily understand the real ins and outs that make climate tech potentially quite complex to new entrants so the first step is knowledge so it's it's understanding the ins and outs of the market maybe what makes for a good investment for a uh, more of an infrastructure fund what
0: happens beyond that point one thing I learned, for example, when I'm saying that something is de risked the infrastructure investors say, hell no, <laughs> this is not what I call de-risk. We need to talk to each other in, in, in exchange. And, and as founders, I, I call everybody and say, guys, you have to talk to everybody. You have to build the relationships early on and understand that this is not, especially if you are coming from the digital world and you're a serial entrepreneur and now you're doing you want to do something in, in climate we see that a lot and it's very good you need to understand that this journey is not similar to your previous one right and then start talking to everybody and and that's the second step yeah start implementing and understanding that this is not an equity story or not an equity alone story like we see in the digital space, yeah, especially AI and yeah, or blockchain, yeah, yeah whatever is the favorite topic of the day. It's not an equity story. It's from the get-go. this is a blended financing story. And as much as you build a funnel when you're raising equity, you need to build a funnel for grants. You need to build a funnel for debt. You need to prepare. You need to, to pre, uh, have the collaterals for each one of them. You may need to hire people that are specialists in each one of them and just prepare for that. So we
1: touched on step one being that sort of that community, that ecosystem Is Step two being around the, the investors.
0: What happens beyond
1: that stage?
0: So basically what's important is to start very early on planning and creating a roadmap. If you wish, software companies have a product roadmap. You have to have a scaling roadmap. You have to know at what point you're going to make, how much. And by the way, along those lines, there is another one that you have to know what is the price. Yeah, so you remember everybody's talking about the green premium or a premium. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to call it technology premium because green may say that it's always there, but technology premium, you know, it's always go down. So it, you know, it's it's kind of scissors, right? I mean, you go higher on the scale, you go down on the price. Yeah. So you have to have this kind of a plan. And along that plan, you need to start preparing kind of commercial, uh, uh, the financing, what what you're going to put in, what you're going to get out in in terms of the technological. um, The term that we're using is a techno-economic analysis of the facility at every given stage and then start thinking about, okay, what is the return of this thing? How can I finance this? Yeah, Yeah. Can I do it with grants? Can I do it with even off-take agreements? Can I do it with a debt? Do I have offtake agreements? Did I secure all the feedstock? All these elements that you need to start actually planning for and executing, and that would bring you a step closer to actually being able to have blended financing. When you speak
1: about techno-economic feasibility work, it reminds me a lot of the work that you increasingly see a lot of the large engineering firms doing. And I know there'll be engineers at some of those firms listening to this conversation. And maybe it did remind them of some of the work that they're doing at the minute. But a lot, of, if you look at the work that a lot of these sort of large global engineering consultancies do for maybe a large industrial company or other types of large asset owner operators, a lot of the work that they do is, is working with them to do feasibility work to maybe help transition them to maybe a low carbon source of energy, such as hydrogen, or maybe try and sort of decarbonize their, their industrial plant. How similar is that work that, say, some of the engineers at these consultancies do to the type of techno economic work that maybe you just described?
0: Sure. I, I think it's very similar. And I think I would urge startups to work also with the service providers, EPC. And yeah, the challenge is, and one of the reasons is that usually when we're talking about, again, going back to software investments, we ask usually the typical successful entrepreneur to do, to usually be two things, right? You have to know the topic. yeah. So maybe if it's a software AI, so you're probably a coder since you were, I don't know, seven and you went to Imperial College, etc. Yeah, And then at the same time, you have to be a great business person because you have to sell this stuff. This is two things. I feel like we're asking, and, and it's already very hard to do these two things. I feel like we're asking our climate tech entrepreneurs to be three things. They have to be these great science people who are just talking about coming out of university. They have to be great business people, but they also have to be great engineers. And we know that science and engineering, they're related, but it's not the same, right? And that's why it's not a single person, and that's why they have to plan for it. That's why we, they have to either hire or outsource and work with it, those types of offices that, like you've mentioned, with people that know, have the knowledge and do day in, day out, nothing but pure engineering. And think about how do you take this science and do something big. With it, because a lot of the stuff is nothing that even I, as an engineer or as a VC, I don't know, right? I don't do ever any every, every day something with permits, yeah. And permits is nothing to do with maybe with filing uh, the right file, yeah. It's about lobbying, and yeah, and so that that's why there there are so many elements here that beyond the knowledge of the typical founder, and therefore it's not about them being super founder, but rather being a super recruiter or, yeah, or building an ecosystem around yourself and around the company that can execute.
1: Yeah. yeah. One last question to finish, if I may, what are you most excited about in the future when it comes to the world of solving climate change?
0: Every time I try to do something to guess what's going to happen in 10 years time, one thing happened. I was wrong. I I cannot say what is the one thing that I'm excited about that is going to happen in 10 years time. But one thing that is really I'm I'm really glad and, and looking forward to is that I believe that the way we do things today, the way we grow things, the way we ship things, the way we create energy, the way we make food, the way we produce our t-shirts our perfumes our flavors yeah all of that is going to change and that is the what i'm so excited about when i started about climate that was because i thought oh let's do a good thing for yeah for the kids yeah and i completely underestimated the gigantic business opportunity and not just uh, creating jobs and everything, but the sheer fact. And again, going back to scaling, the amount of money that is going to be invested in the infrastructure, yeah? So what I'm really looking for is, and I'm already driving an electric car, and and everything that we do today is... Based, and, and I don't think that maybe uh, since the in the last 100 years, 500 years, that the people all of a sudden change how they did things in the past. So the steam engine, right? So for example, I think within our generation, we will be able to see the next change of how we do things. And this is super exciting.
1: I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been absolutely fascinating.
0: Thanks a lot.